What is going on, everybody? Pete Forsey, the podcast. Happy Super Bowl week. Thank goodness it's almost here. I got MLB Network on the background right now. I'm watching the running Redbirds of the 80s, thinking about baseball season. But we got one more big game, the big one, Niners Chiefs. We're going to give full breakdown on that one. We're going to talk a little bit about baseball. I had one thought pop into my mind today, and it actually pertains to the Cardinals on a player I think they need to sign. We'll get to that. I'm going to talk about Andy Reid and his legacy as far as what this game means to him. I think that there is something to be said about getting it done in the big one, but reasons why I don't think it's as important for Andy Reid. But, of course, we have to talk about the big news that hit us this weekend. We'll get right to it. It's episode 35 of the podcast. I do want to talk about Kobe Bryant and the tragedy that was Sunday afternoon. Just like everybody else, it's one of those situations where you look down at your phone and you do a double take because you don't even believe what you just read. I remember doing that with Andrew Luck. Obviously, that is not near of the same consequence here that we're talking with Kobe and the other passengers on Sunday. Um Yeah, very sad. One of those things where you immediately just think back to your personal connection. And for me, you know, I'm not a big NBA guy. I foray into it. I keep a watchful eye on the trending stories, the headlines, LeBron, Warriors, not so much them anymore. But this, everybody knows who Kobe Bryant is. I am actually pretty impressed by the magnitude, the bandwidth outside of sports that he has. I knew he was well-versed in other things post-career. I didn't understand that it extended this big. But for me, my personal connection, two distinct memories with Kobe Bryant. One is a quote that he said with, I don't know if it was an interview, something that he just said off the cuff. But one thing that always stuck with me was he once told someone, friends come and go, but championships are forever. And that's just something that definitely epitomizes him. That was his mentality. He really is that rare individual where, you know, a lot of people say, I'm all in on winning. I'm all about the team. I work tirelessly. Basketball is my life. Whatever the given sport is, no. There's about 1% that are actually all in. Tony Gonzalez once said that about the NFL. About 1% are actually, quote unquote, all in. Kobe Bryant. He was one of those with basketball. Just the difference between when he grew up, and he was a bit of a crossover because he retired, I believe it was 2016 in the spring. So he didn't really grow into this as far as the NBA with social media and the internet, online blogging, and just the instant gratification era that we're in now. He was not in that. So he was never about branding. He was never about self-promotion, preening. He's always been about winning. And he always knew that other stuff would be taken care of if I just focused on getting W's. Going over to the Staples Center and putting the Lakers in championship basketball games. And that's exactly what he did. Five rings. You know, you got all the stories of him uh, waking up at 3 a.m., having his own personal workout, not leaving the gym, putting up 800 shots, and then the official practice starts. And then he goes to his own shoot-around by himself, and then later on that night, 7 o'clock, there's the game, and he's just getting buckets. And it just goes to show you the rarity 
of the top athletes, the elite athletes in any given sport, what do they all have in common? They're willing to give up so much. So much. Tom Brady once said, I'm willing to give up my life. You better be willing to give up yours. If you want to beat me. That was in Tom vs. Time. That's exactly how Kobe was. Exactly the same way. Friends come and go. Championships are forever, baby. And, you know, it's not, like I mentioned, I'm not the biggest Kobe guy. I do think he had some flaws. My other distinct memory is that he once quit during a practice because he didn't think his teammates were playing at the level of play that they should have. Maybe it was an effort thing as well. But he just quit practice. And I thought, you know, Kobe, you're a leader. You don't quit practice. You're kind of undermining the coach in that situation. And you're telling others it's okay when you're upset with something to just walk away. I mean, I understand that. It's a one-off thing. I remember it was years down the line. He was a veteran at this point. I do think, you know, there was maybe a little too much arrogance on his part. But, again, basketball is kind of a different animal from the other sports out there. So I get that there is quite a significant amount of that. Definitely overall, though, Kobe Bryant, what a player. Rarity, absolute rarity. It, it cannot be exaggerated. You will be missed. It was interesting to see if you would go the A-Rod route. I know he was on the Corp with Alex Rodriguez, the baseball player. His second act, you know, his second career as far as media and business, that seems to be brewing just fine. I thought Kobe would be on the same track. Unfortunately, Kobe Bryant dead at age 41. We had to start on that somber note to pay our respects. Definitely something that Kobe Bryant deserves, and again, he will just be missed. It's uh, it's a terrible, terrible thing. Hopefully, um, you know, that's something we don't have to deal with again, that shocker that we look down at our phones. But we do have a big game going on this Sunday. And before I dive into the preview, we're going to get to that later on in the show, I really want to talk about something that's been a fair topic. And I think sometimes in sports media, there are some things that are just kind of spoken into existence that frankly aren't even true. And there's data, whether it's concrete data in numbers or if it's, you know, simply just the eyeball test that proves it to be untrue. Clayton Kershaw and his postseason failures. That's one. Clayton Kershaw has been a good postseason pitcher. He's won a lot of big games for the Dodgers and pitched very well. Another is or another was, I should say, LeBron James can't win the big game. Well, LeBron took his team to the finals, what was it, like the first three years and they lost, or first two? No, LeBron James can win plenty of big games. Don't say he's not clutch. Some things just simply aren't true. And there, there's support both ways, but really when it stacks up, it's not entirely close. One thing that is fair in this Super Bowl is that Andy Reid has trouble with clock management in this game. So that leads me to the question of what if he blows this, this Super Bowl game? What if he mismanages his timeouts, uh, calls the wrong plays at the wrong time, doesn't manage the game well against the toughest of opponents? We're meeting in the championship game here. 49ers are going to be the best team they face. What does that mean for his legacy? I don't think it's that big of a black mark. I, I, I really don't. Andy Reid has done so much. I think it's up to seven conference title games now between the Eagles and the Chiefs. The coaching tree that he's 
put out there. We got Eric Bieniemy coming up. You got Matt Nagy. You got D- Doug Peterson. All these different coaches that he's put out there, along with the biggest of factors, he has coached so many different quarterbacks, whether it's Donovan McNabb, Kevin Cobb, Michael Vick, Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes, really the only elite talent that he's had his entire career, and yet he is up there on the top of the leaderboard in wins. Andy Reid is a Hall of Famer as we speak. He's been to one Super Bowl. Really crushed it there with McNabb and just letting the clock run out while the uh, you know while they were down by multiple scores. It actually famously prompted Bill Belichick, the opponent in that game, the head coach, to say he, he had to go on to his headset with his coaches and make sure that the scoreboard was correct because he couldn't believe Andy Reid was just letting the clock bleed to death. So he's been to that one Super Bowl, and I still think he has done enough to earn a legacy as a Hall of Famer. It is very true, and this is something to watch when you're talking about the toughest of opponents. It's been good so far, but the clock management, the run-pass variance in certain moments, who he's calling plays for as far as his skills players, because he really does force-feed his best players, which is a good process. Okay, it's a good process, but sometimes you need to go to another to get the open yards, to get the yards that they're giving you. Andy Reid, Hall of Famer, win or lose, this guy is one of the best to ever do it. One of the things about legalized gambling now in several states and it being the Super Bowl is that there's plenty of prop bets. Bets that, frankly, are just funny and silly, but ones that are also serious and pertain to the game, a lot of times involving individual players. And one thing that I always like to do is the player to watch. And the player to watch, for me, the way I do it, not necessarily the marquee name, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Tyreek Hill, Debo Samuel, the playmakers, whether it be those skills positions or the quarterbacks, I always like to go under the radar. Who's going to be the guy when we're talking about the championship game The guy that shows up and you say, who? James White, Patriots, 2017. Uh, What was his name? Corey Coleman, not Corey Coleman, Coleman for the Eagles, who had a a big touchdown catch that, uh, upon review, was ruled in favor of the Eagles. Those sorts of players, the guys that you know maybe by name, vaguely, maybe you don't know them, they have a big impact by making plays. I got mine. I think it's going to be a Kansas City Chief. I'll get to him in a moment. I will say, though, more than likely, I think this is going to be a game where whichever of the stars, whether it be the 49ers or the Chiefs, it's going to come down to them playing their best. Really, Patrick Mahomes, Jimmy Garoppolo, is he going to throw that interception? It's going to come down to those guys. But for the Kansas City Chiefs, the player to watch on their side – I think it's going to be Darwin Thompson, running back. Now, Damian Williams does get the biggest timeshare of those backs. LaShawn McCoy, probably not even going to be active for this game. But beyond the other skills players on Kansas City, I'm picking Darwin Thompson. Why? I think he's a tough cat to bring down. His broken tackles after contact, about 70 attempts. Four missed tackles. I like that ratio. I like that he gets nearly two two yards after contact. That's pretty good. It's not as good as Damian Williams, 3.2 yards after contact per carry. But 
I like Thompson. He's big. He's not as fast. Doesn't have the breakaway speed. But that's going to be the difference between getting those first downs if Kansas City cannot get those chunk plays. The reason I say it's going to come down to the stars in this game is because I do think Kansas City's going to get a lot of chunk plays. But if they're forced to play a game, a manufactured game, Patrick Mahomes, who he has been tested in that area a lot. Patrick Mahomes is sensational. I said last week, he's the best player in the league. He hasn't been tested too much as far as manufacturing drives. If they're forced into that game against this Robert Sala defense, I think Darwin Thompson could become a big X factor in this game. I like his broken tackle ratio. I think he's a tough guy to bring down. He can catch the football. Watch out for him. Could be a sneaky big player in this Super Bowl. I do have to take a brief detour into Major League Baseball because there was a thought that I thought was pretty interesting and popped in my head today in regards to the St. Louis Cardinals. This is a Super Bowl preview show all about the big game this Sunday, but there's something going on with the Cardinals that I I, I had a thought, and it relates to Yasiel Puig and the fact that he remains unsigned at age 29, relatively similar to Marcelo Zuna, who the Cardinals let walk to the Atlanta Braves. The Cardinals still have not replaced an adequate player to be their cleanup hitter, to bat number four in their lineup. And we all know that lineups are fluid and everything, but with Nick Castiano signing a four-year deal with the Reds, $64 million yesterday, it really got me rolling upstairs mentally. The uh, The cylinders were fire, firing in regards to what are the Cardinals doing? Why are they letting this happen? They're being stagnant, and they're not taking the initiative, and they're not being aggressive. And you know who I thought about that would not let this happen and isn't letting it happen? The World Series champion, Washington Nationals. Mike Rizzo, he's continued to fortify the roster. And he's done this years on end before they won the World Series. Anthony Rendon obviously walked. He got mega bucks from the Los Angeles Angels. However, there's top prospects within the national system that are infielders, third base, second base, that the Nationals lost. And you would think, hmm, maybe they'll give them a shot. Maybe they'll just let those young kids play and earn the role. That's what the Cardinals are doing. With their outfielders, they're giving the shot to Dylan Carlson, Dexter Fowler, who's been underwhelming. They're giving it to Harrison Bader, who can't hit anything but a fastball. They're giving it to Lane Thomas. Guys that are completely unproven. You would think in free agency, if there's a solution to help supplement the roster and have a backup plan, whether that's the young guy or if that's the free agent signing, you would think that would be something the Cardinals explore. This is something the Nationals do. They brought Osdrubal Cabrera back to play third base and to play second base. They brought in Starling Castro to do the same thing. Eric Thames over at first base. Matt Adams, remember him? Not happening this year, but he was brought back to play a timeshare position at first base. They won the World Series. This is how Mike Rizzo operates. He doesn't just hand over the job to their young kids. Carter Keboom, he is the Nationals' number one prospect. Luis Garcia, number two. They both play infield. They both play infield. Mike Rizzo is not content. He says there are options out there. I'm leaving no stone unturned. He's the king of one-year pillow contracts, one-year deals. And I don't understand why the Cardinals can't come to an agreement with Yasiel Puig. I re- 
clearly Puig's market is frozen. Who else is, is anyone offered him a deal? He may not have a deal on the table. 13 to 15 million. Puig made 9.7 last year. For those interested in war, he's about a two and a half war player. Really consistent. You're going to get a 329 OBP, OPS, or excuse me, slugging anywhere from 460 to 490. He's going to club 20 bombs. He's got a stellar arm. He can play right field in Bush. One year, reestablish your value, Puig. You just might have a cleanup hitter in Yasiel if you sign him. I don't understand why. I don't have an answer for you guys. For a long time, I just thought Mizalak was bullish on letting the players that he identified through his department, giving them the first chance. And maybe they've been a little bit, you know, gun-shy with free agency with how it's gone lately, i.e. Dexter Fowler, who turned it around, but we all know he hasn't been what was advertised. It is possible it's Bill DeWitt. He may throw the hammer down and say payroll is not going above X. And then maybe John Mazalek has to work within it, which is absurd because their payroll could be $50 million more. It's a mid-market team with big bucks payroll but they refuse to do it. And it's not, I'm not as bullish on that as a lot of people who think they're extremely cheap. I don't think they're extremely cheap, but they do penny pinch. And this is an area that I, I can't defend them in. Yasiel Puig should be a Cardinal by now. Put an aggressive offer on the table, table, excuse me, 16 mil. I think that'll get it done. I'd like it in the 13, 15 million range. One year, Yasiel Puig, Bush Stadium. All right, getting to the actual game and what I think is going to happen. I'll preface by saying I always, you know, take it down to the wire here. I always hammer it out the day of. What am I hearing as far as injury reports? Uh, what are the reports on, you know, style of play that they think they're going to be attacking? Who's going to be in the game? Um, you know, mainly health-wise, but I do just like to consider the overall schematics of it all. I think when it comes down to it, like mentioned, this is going to be who can match the speed, whether that's the Kansas City defense, are they going to be, or excuse me, the Kansas City offense, are they going to be overpowering the San Francisco defense, or is the speed going to match up and San Francisco is going to outmuscle the Kansas City offense? So speed, toughness, which one's going to be the bigger factor during this football game? Right now, I tend to say the speed of the Chiefs. I just think it's going to be an absolute absolute track meet for them but at the same time this front four of San Francisco they can really just pinch the pocket for Mahomes they're not going to try and rush him you don't try and rush him you just try to pin him and stay even with him so he can't break outside and make plays on the run that game against Tennessee he was sensational force him to stay in the pocket and extend the play that way it's still dangerous don't get me wrong I like Mahomes' odds there, but that's the way you have to defend them. They also have the front four to get pressure very quickly. And obviously, if you get it quick enough, that will disrupt the play no matter how good a quarterback you have. I do think that this secondary is going to have some fits for San Francisco. I really do like Kwan Williams. I do like that Mosley guy that they have. And obviously, their defensive backs are pretty good. Really, what's suspect is Dre Greenlaw, Fred Warner at the linebacker position. I don't know about these guys on San Francisco. Uh, Quan Alexander, is he going to be healthy enough? I think they are talented, but against 
Kansas City, where the nuances are going to be very important. I just don't know, especially with, um, you know, I, I mentioned Darwin Thompson already, Damian Williams. Those guys can catch the ball of the backfield. Are those linebackers going to be able to cover? Right now, I don't see it. It's really going to be about the front four getting home. Can they do it? Yes, they're more than capable. Are they going to have gap integrity? Are they going to stay even with Mahomes? Now, on the flip side, the Kansas City defense, you know, they've improved with Spagnuolo. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo, former Rams head coach, he's really got them playing a lot of different coverages, trying to match up well with the offensive opponent. They're trying to say, hey, you hate facing this Kyle Shanahan. Well, we're going to play this coverage then. The problem with Kyle Shanahan, though, is he's very malleable as well. He'll run the ball, and it'll be a power game, or he'll run the ball, and it'll be a zone game. They'll run trap. They'll run counter. He'll run whatever on the ground. He's got the versatile running backs to do it. Tevin Coleman sounds like he's going to play. Uh, Brita, if you have to, if he can carry the doggone football. And then, of course, uh, Mostart. So, they're pretty flexible there, too, and they got the best route runners collectively, I think, in Debo Samuel, Emmanuel, George Kittle. It really is a fascinating game, and, you know, it's pretty easy to say in the big one, I think this could be one of the best games we ever see. I'm tending to think that this has, like, everything involved. We're going to see interceptions, we're going to see fumbles, we're going to see sacks, uh, we're going to see big hits, we're going to see big throws, we're going to see big runs. I, I really think... Everything's pretty capable. Not all teams are balanced, but these teams are one balance in every way just about as far as distributing to the playmakers. And number two, they're both healthy. Not many injuries. Tevin Coleman's probably the biggest of note. I can't wait to watch this game. I'm tending to lean Kansas City. I think they're going to bring it home. I'm going by a touchdown here. Going by a touchdown, 34-27. Big scoring. Kansas City wins their second Super Bowl. All right, y'all, I'm out. I appreciate everybody listening. Have a happy Super Bowl. Hopefully you get some good food, knock back some cold ones, have a good view of the game. Remember, sneaky player to watch, Darwin Thompson, prop bet, score. Tentatively, 34-27, Chiefs over the Niners. Check back at Twitter for that score prediction. Again, I do it last minute. It's at Pete4C, number four, letter C. Thanks so much. The podcast, Pete4C. Tell your friends, tell your fam, tell your wife, tell your girlfriend, subscribe, review, five stars. Thank you.